Moses in the CIA? I'm Moses, Ken Mosesian. And like my ancestor, I'm all about training individuals, teams, and companies how to lead. Now, I've joined forces with the CIA. I'm Dan Crum, known as the CIA. And I can help you win your best deal every time through my sales training, the CIA method. Join us as we talk about topics of life and business from two unique perspectives. Hello, Ken. How are you this fantastic afternoon again? I know, I know. We're meeting in the daylight. We're not doing the vampire thing anymore. It's amazing. It is amazing, but it's also because it's summer. Just wait until fall. It might be similar times, but it won't feel like the afternoon anymore. It'll feel like nighttime again. I can't I know. back to that. It'll be exciting. <laughs> and this afternoon, I need you to yes, get what is that all about? Uh, it's a provocative title, Dan, but let's run with this and see what happens. So I've heard, I've heard yeah. through the grapevine that you are really good at helping companies give it all away. What the heck would that even mean? Uh, Why would they give anything away? I, I don't know. Explain further. Dan, it's, a, it's the giant topic called delegation. It's the thing that... Uh, people do when they want to get stuff off their plate, but they don't see a higher value in it. And at its highest level, it's about succession planning. It's actually about training people who are emerging leaders in the company to rise up so that when the day comes and it's time for the top leadership, the CEO, the president uh, to actually step aside, maybe move into more of an advisory role that you've raised up talent such that they're ready to step in to that new role. So that's what that's about. The big challenge is that people don't like to give it away. People like to hold on to it, especially entrepreneurs, especially people who have built something themselves. That's probably the biggest challenge that an owner, founder, CEO has is to start letting go to turn away from that day-to-day -day operational mindset, which they were always in that building mode, um, but building on that more micro level and to turn towards the future and to create the next level of the company. So that's what we're talking about today, Dan. So I'm sure you've seen this. And if you haven't, you need to watch the session on HBO because this is exactly the topic we're talking about. So non-spoiler, but basically you have an older CEO founder of a very large company who has multiple children and they're all vying for the takeover, right? They all are raising their hands saying, give it to me, give it to me, right? And they all want that position. Um, and it's just the journey so far over, I think maybe three or so seasons of like what happens next, like what decision is made and how would that all play out? So kind of talk us through maybe, Ken, a scenario which you've come across where you've been tasked to help a founder, maybe CEO, to uh, figure out, like, what do I do? Maybe I'm at yeah. the end of what I want my career or my company to be, and I don't know what I should do next. Talk us yeah, through. Yeah, there, there's, there's, I, I think, um, four or five parts to this that are pretty universal. Um, especially when we're talking about owner, founder, CEOs. These are people who literally poured their money, blood, sweat, tears, time, everything into starting a company, building it to success, 
they've made a decision that they don't want to just dissolve it. They've made a decision that they want it to become a next generation firm and that they also want to step out. And so that simple act deciding that it's time is like the first step. And the second thing is that there is always a big concern about who the successor is going to be, like you're describing. If there's family members vying for the position, if there's somebody who just seems like they're naturally positioned for it, how do you select the person that's going to be next? And along with that, how will the people, particularly the leadership team, but how will everyone in the company look to the new leader? This is a challenge, Dan, particularly when the leadership styles are different. So for example, if you had an owner-founder CEO that was, let's say, kind of a benevolent dictator, I mean, they may have had a leadership team around them and they took the pulse of the room, but basically the bottom line is we're doing it my way and you guys are all peripheral to the participation in the decision. And if the successor or proposed successor is much more collegial in nature, if that person likes to truly take the temperature of the room, balance out what everyone's saying, think about it, be willing to be moved from his or her place, and then make a decision, I can feel really off-putting to someone who's used to having a king or a queen. Just say, this is a decision. This is the way we're going. That can feel really comforting. It can be really awful if that dictator's style, if that that very strong leadership style uh, is not polite or kind or pleasant, but it can be really comforting to people if it feels like, you know, dad's in the house, mom's in the house, everything's going to be okay. And all of a sudden you're confronted with the possibility of a leader who said, no, I'm, I may be first among equals, but we're all equals. Everyone's going to have a voice. Everyone's voice is going to count. That feels very different, particularly if that company has been going on for a decade, two decades, and people have gotten used to that. The third thing is, or fourth thing, whatever number we're on now, how is this going to read not only internally, but how is it going to read to the outside world? Why is the change taking place? If that person's not, quote, retirement age, whatever that happens to be, if that current leader and founder is maybe at the pinnacle of their success, the company's doing extremely well, money's pouring in, why would you leave something so successful at that time? And it's so easy for a story to get started that something must be wrong. There must be trouble in paradise. There must be something going on behind the scenes. Otherwise, why would that person be leaving? Are they being forced out? Are they choosing to leave because they know something about the business that the other people don't know? Are they leaving for some other nefarious reason, right? People People love fire-starting conversations. Sad to say, but social media bears witness to that. People love stuff that stirs the pot, that starts fires. And so it is absolutely essential to tell the story of the transition before anyone else has a chance to tell it for you, because they're most likely not going to tell it accurately. And as part of that, and this is kind of that last initial point, part of that means reaching out to the people who are the true key stakeholders in the organization. And that means individual conversations with people internally, but it also means reaching out to your best clients, it means reaching out to trade partners, it means reaching out to contacts that you have at 
the media that are at trade journals that you work with and actually sharing the story in a super orderly fashion and doing it in such a way that it paints a picture from where you're at to where you're going and that that picture is a really, really positive one. And that storytelling, that's the thing people are going to remember. People don't retain numbers and data and all that other stuff. They want to hear a good story, well told. And if the story is, I built this from nothing, it's a success. I can exit with a chunk of change right now that sets me and my family up. And then I can choose to do what I want when I want afterwards. This is of my own volition. This is of my own free will. This is kind of my reward, my exit. It's my reward. It's like every entrepreneur's dream. You start something, you build it, and then you're able to exit for a nice, nice payout and then do what you want with your life when you want to do it. But that story has to be created in advance. Maybe most importantly, everyone in the company needs to know what the key talking points are about that. Because people are out of bars in the evening. Hey, heard your company's you know changing leadership. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on. It's like, oh, really? Yeah, I mean, they were kind of arguing in the boardroom the other day. And I don't know. You know, that's how stuff gets started. As opposed to everybody having like just three simple key points. Yeah, it's a blowout success, man. And, you know, our leader, Steve, really built something magnificent. We're so happy that he wants to keep this thing going as a next gen firm. And uh, really happy for him that he and his wife and his family now get to take some well deserved time off, relax, and then he can do whatever he wants next, or frankly, do nothing next. Everybody has just a few key points that they all repeat. Then no matter if I talk to the receptionist, if I talk to a manager, a director, a vice president, I get the same story every time. So that's probably the definition of toe the company line right there. Um, I just realized that the word succession has the word success in it. I'm a little slow. That I literally (laughs) just realized that. I'm like, wait. So the question would be, does a company have to be successful to have a successor, right? Or to to do that properly? It, it, It kind of begs the question of, do you ever have come across a situation where you're like, you know what, you're better shutting this down than trying to keep this thing going. Like somebody hires you as a consultant and is like, can help us fix this company. Things aren't going well. And your recommendation is not to fix it, but to maybe wind it down, right? Or yeah. make it smaller. Tell us about something like that. Yeah. So sometimes that is the best answer. Sometimes the best answer is to engineer a shutdown, to do it in a way that's graceful. And that's as kind as possible to the people who are there in a timely fashion and really to try to engineer in those situations a soft landing for everyone, however that happens to be. Sometimes it means that everything has to be scaled down so it can be built back up. Sometimes it means that we have to look for um, uh, acquisition or merger possibilities. So you know maybe things are getting wrapped up, and this is happening in a few different industries that I've worked in where large corporations, offshore corporations are coming in and uh, what were mom and pop stores or practices happening in the medical industry a lot, what, what were individual private practices are literally getting rolled up. Large corporations who see medical practices as one piece in their portfolio. 
And it because they, they can operate on economies of scale, it makes it more and more difficult for those private practices to stay in business. And so hard decisions have to be made. Do we do we try to fight against all odds? Do we try to you know, maintain our fees where we're at? Do we really tout the fact that we are family run and that we provide uh, a level of service that you can't find in a corporate uh, medical practice? Or do we say the best thing to do is to try to maintain that autonomy, but as a part of a bigger group? So you're right. Oftentimes, um, it does happen where where maintaining kind of the next generation firm isn't always the best decision. Sometimes you have to look at that really hard decision of shutting something down uh, or a merger acquisition in order to preserve so that the firm can continue. The other thing I'd, I'd just throw in here, the whole notion of success, sometimes entrepreneurs are great at that initial phase of that, that initial building. It's like the amazing creative idea grabbing a bunch of people together who want to dig in and work those extreme hours, build something up in short time. It's like, how fast can we grow in the shortest period of time? And that's fantastic to get you to a certain level. But there are skill sets that are very different for that kind of work than for building something bigger than a particular uh, size. And there are different leadership skills required. And sometimes it's appropriate for that owner, founder, CEO to step aside so that someone with the skill sets of taking a company that's already been built up and running, but needs those kinds of leadership skills to build it even bigger, it's time for them to come in and do that. And, and that's where the exit may happen for that person. So this is not a spoiler because this movie's been out for over 20 years, but the movie Gladiator, if you haven't seen it, I recommend checking it out. And in it, the king is uh, looking to not be seceded, that's the right word, by his son and instead is looking to go from, you know, uh, a king, a Caesar to like looking at, I think it's the Senate, right? Like a group of people that take it over and uh, he tasks somebody to take this over, which is the kind of the story, the whole story about Gladiator in this one. And um, it makes me think of the respect that you can tell me people should or must have in order to uh, go from somebody that everybody's like, yes, this is the proper person to lead us. And then they do pass on all that, say to a son or daughter, uh, somebody in the family chain. And then everyone's like, nope, not the same as when this person was here. So talking about like, respect for the inheritor, right? Tell me about a situation where you have recommendations for that. Yeah, I think it's that's that's a tough one, right? Because uh, I would hope that in situations where you have a family structure, and I've seen this one time with a law firm, uh, and thankfully, the daughter who is inheriting the firm who is taking over as senior partner at this point. Thankfully, she is someone who brings an extraordinary skill set to the game. I think it's a lot tougher uh, to respect somebody who doesn't necessarily bring those skills to the party. That's a, that's a hard one to do. And if I was consulting with a firm like that, I would talk to them about 
Is there another role that your son or daughter could play in the firm that's still of import, that still recognizes those familial ties that kind of keeps the family line alive, maybe a senior advisory position, a position on the board of directors, if you have one, uh, or on the board of advisors? Is there a place that they could still play a part, could still keep your legacy alive, and yet we want to recognize that to truly keep your legacy alive, the firm has to live, the firm has to succeed. And to do that, maybe somebody who's not a family member, but who brings extraordinary leadership skills and who is well-respected by other members in the firm would be the best person to put in that leadership role. You could still have family members surrounding them to provide advice, to be able to connect them to the family, to the history. But I would truly advise them to, to think twice about handing something over to a family member simply because they're a family member. I would ask them to look at the skill set that they bring and to assess it without consideration for the fact that they're a son or a daughter. You can still structure inheritance any way you want. It's not dependent on leadership. And I think the most important consideration is going to be the future of the firm, of the company, of the practice, the organization, whatever kind of a structure you have. If you really want it to continue beyond you, then you've got to look dispassionately at who that next leader is going to be and make sure that that is the right person to take your company to that next level. So I know culture is really important to you. So yeah. if you come across a company and they let you know right from the beginning that their whole intention is, let's say their early day startup, and they say, we're building this to sell, we're building this to be acquired, we kind of already know the pathway, it's a two-ish year plan. Um, what do you recommend to them as far as establishing a culture? And does that even matter if you're building it to sell? Yeah, it, it does, because I think the culture that you have is going to be one of the key factors that's going to make it attractive for acquisition. And culture is, as I define it, how work gets done based on values. And so if your goal is an exit in a couple of years, well, you want to build as much value in that company as you possibly can. You want to build it up um, to be as strong as you possibly can, can do. That was a really poorly constructed sentence, but I'm going with it. And, and the best way to do that is culture. That means that if you've established a set of values, say you have five core values, and you take the time to define what each of those values mean, and you agree on the definition, you get to that point where it's like, yes, we're aligned. This is what integrity means to us. This is what engineering means to us. Engineering means thinking in this particular way. It doesn't mean that you know we're a tech company and all of a sudden, hey, we're a pizza company. That's a little too ingenious. We want to keep it a little bit tighter. So you, you name the values, you define them, and you come to alignment on them. And then you associate desired behaviors with them. Someone who exhibits the quality of integrity acts like this. Someone who exhibits the quality of ingenuity acts like that. And finally, you memorialize that kind of behavior. So in your weekly team meetings, if Dan, you something that really saved a, a situation that could have cost us our big client, like you, you went the extra mile. Let's say we have that kind of a go the extra mile as a core value. And you went over to the, the client's house 
you sat down, you had a one-on-one with them, you talked through this difficult situation, you brought them back on board, they felt great afterwards. I would call that out at a meeting and say, that is going the extra mile in action. That's how we take our values from you know a poster board that's up on the wall of the office or just on the website and actually put it into action. The point being that if you establish a culture based on value linked to behavior, it doesn't mean doesn't matter who's leading a project because everyone's leading from the same values. Everyone's leading from the same beliefs. And that's the best way to build a company if you want to sell it in two years or if you want it to last two generations. So Ken, if you ever consult a company and they're looking to sell, give it to me. Thank you for listening. To learn more, check out MosesInTheCIA.com. To learn more about Ken Mosesian, check out mosesian.com. To learn more about Dan Crum, check out dancrum.com. Mm-hmm.